Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. And I'm excited this week. We're embarking on a new era for Success Movie Rewind. We are going to converge with some synergy with respect to our parent brand, success.com, as well as Success Magazine, of course, and their fantastic coverage of the future of work. And I'm excited about this, you know, when I, I started thinking about this possibility. Uh, of course, you know, anytime you can get some synergy going, you got to do it. Am I right? Uh, but also, there are just so many good movies about work. And it's such an interesting topic. Uh, when we think about the future of work, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our communities? And it's easy to get excited. It's easy to get apprehensive. But one thing I think that it's important to do is to look to the past to see where, we're, where we've come from. And movies are such a great vehicle for this because they're time capsules of large-scale cultural wish fulfillment or dream exploration. Uh, we get to see what people who devote their lives to creating stories that will resonate with as many people as possible when we're talking about commercially made, you know, wannabe blockbusters, uh, what they think will resonate is important to think about. And with this week's movie, we also get another interesting glimpse at what one of the cutting edge companies that is in many ways having an important say in the future of work wants us to think about and wants its own employees to think about uh, when they think about the future of work in Silicon Valley. And I'm talking, of course, about Google, which is the setting for the 2013 comedy classic, The Internship, starring Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. So interestingly, when you look at the credits of this movie, the first thing you'll notice is that Vince Vaughn came up with the story and was one of the writers on the script, which is very cool. I didn't know that Vince had that talent, and this is a great movie. That's why we're reviewing it. So definitely shout out Vince, but I feel like there's a credit to be had in this movie for Google, (laughs) or whoever it was at Google that clearly was involved in the making of this movie, which at many junctures resembles a Google commercial. And I don't say that to dismiss this movie. It's just something you kind of can't help but think if you're an intelligent media consumer, a critical media consumer, which is what we're striving to be on Success Movie Rewind. But that just makes it more interesting because it tells us what does Google want to be. And that tells us what does every company in Silicon Valley that listens when someone says, well, at Google, you know, what they do is X, Y, and Z. That's really important. And that's really brought cutting edge innovation and it's really brought out, you know, some some uglier sides of the workplace in Silicon Valley. So we're going to talk about all that with respect to the future of work as we examine these films. But let's get into it with the internship. So 
you know, like all great movies, all great stories, we've got to have some conflict. We've got our, to get our characters wanting something. So the way that Vince and, and the other writer came up with uh, to do this was a classic uh, setup where things are going well at the beginning, at least characters think they are, but they're due for a fall. And so I wanted to pick, I picked this clip for a few reasons. One, as you'll, you'll see, it's got music, it'll get us psyched up. That's kind of the point. It's a little, a little pump-up tune, a little curveball to get us excited for the rest of our discussion. But also, it, it illustrates uh, the beginning part of our first success movie, Memento, this week, which is to embrace life's irony. You've got to embrace life's irony. And that includes when you get a curveball, you swing at it, and you miss. And maybe you strike out. And maybe the game's over, you know? Uh, but is the series over? Is your career over? Is your life over? Well, sometimes that depends on whether you can look at the bright side without dismissing the, the very real downsides and the, the reality that you've need, you need to find something to do if you've lost your job as... Owen and Vince are about to do. And that's what I mean. This is dramatic irony. We know that they're in for a fall because we've seen movies before, but they don't. But the script writers in another instance of irony are kind of using this setup to comment on the scenario. So let's take a listen and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about how you embrace life's irony. This, why is this on the Get Psyched mix? Because i got to throw you a curveball every now and then you get bored and then the mix doesn't have its intended effect. No, I want to get revved up and this song's not doing it. Oh, really? I defy you to crush this chorus and not get psyched. Not going to happen. Don't you think? It's, it's like crazy. Crazy. On your wedding day, what is it? It's that free ride. To play it safe. Classic Alanis. What's afraid to fly? Who's afraid? Bring it home. Oh, yeah. Come on, Poppy. Yes. Jump to it. It's been a dry June, and I know it doesn't need to be said out loud, but we need this sale. I am so confident that we're going to close this thing that I'm going to order the Pappy Van Winkle. I know it's pricey, but I want to spiritually invest in our success. I'll tell you what, if you didn't order the Pappy, I'd send your rag back out to the car to listen to the Get Psyched Mix to get your mind right. All right. So, on one level, Owen said it all. Classic Alanis. I hope you're psyched up. I am. But on another level, you know, we've kind of got the whole movie. We've got... Uh, Mr. Play It Safe, Owen Wilson, we later learn one, uh, part of his backstory is that he has regret because he hasn't followed his dreams so far. He's stuck to the safe path. He was afraid to fly. Um, will he crash like the guy in the Alanis song? Stay tuned. And then we've also got Vince uh, so confident that he's going to order the very expensive Pappy Van Winkle to spiritually invest in their success. But of course... They're not, they don't have a chance. What we know, because of dramatic irony, is that the wheels have already been in motion. Their jobs are gone. Their client is going to be the one to tell them that because even he knows it. Uh, their boss has told him. So what do you do in these crisis moments? 
Uh, I think irony ha is really a useful tool here. And to explain that, I, we need to talk a little bit about what irony is. And I think, again, Alanis, such one of the great artists of our time, the song is a good jumping off point. Because when it came out, there was kind of like a meme. You know, people would say sometimes, still do. I've heard it. It's, it wasn't just when it came out. It's repeated over the years. And I've never known exactly what to say. But now I've looked it up. I do know what to say. So... There's a kind of like a, you may have heard it, but like Alanis Morissette, ironic, is playing on the stereo. You're at a party and some dude will be like, you know, this isn't really ironic, like rain on your wedding day. That's not irony. That's just a, a negative situation. Like what is ironic about that? And uh, on one level, they're right. Like there's no clever, like dramatic irony that the, the if this were Greek drama, maybe the gods could have planned the rain or something like that, and we could know that. But yeah, maybe it's just a bad situation. But the really broad definition of irony is where the way that something is being portrayed is hiding an aspect of reality that is going to be important later on. It's going to have consequences for the way the situation is being portrayed so that you will later see what, what is being, what was hidden uh, will be revealed and you will say, ah, the irony, you know, that's irony. And so if you're picturing a beautiful wedding day and then there's rain, you know, that's, that's kind of irony. That's uh, you think it's going to be one way. Uh, but the whole time the winds of, of meteorolo meteorological systems were blowing and you didn't know it. And you looked on the weather and you kept looking at it and you thought it would be good. You, maybe you picked a summer wedding. Maybe you pick the dry season, but hey, El Nino blew in, you know? Uh, and so what do you do? And to me, you got to embrace the rain on your wedding day. And it doesn't mean you can't mourn for those beautiful pictures. It doesn't mean you can't mourn for that career as a watch salesman that, that you're seeing dry up before your eyes. But uh, another definition of irony is verbal irony. And we do that every week on this podcast where we look at the words of the script and we say, okay, it means this on the surface, but what else does it mean? What else did the writers mean? What else are the characters getting at? What can we take from this? That's verbal irony where the words have layered meanings that are not always apparent at first glance. So in the script, you know, uh, we've got Mr. Play It Safe. That's just the song lyric, but it's also Owen Wilson's character. We've got Pappy Van Winkle. You know, Owen is saying to Vince, bring it home, Poppy. You know, kind of an echoing there. Vince does become a father figure to the youngsters on the team later on. And he has to kind of come into his own as a responsible father figure, not just a big talker. You know, so there, there's a lot going on here. And then, of course, there's the, the irony of spiritually investing in something, making investments, really believing something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. And that's a failure in some ways. But we can use verbal irony again in this sense, in the way that F. Scott Fitzgerald was getting at when he said that it is like the, I'm paraphrasing, but it is a trait of a first rate mind to be able to hold two contradictory ideas at once without going crazy. And uh, he actually wrote that in an essay called The Crack Up, which was about kind of him being like, hey, this is what I've been dealing with. Uh, and 
his career was on the downswing and he actually was going to die like four years later at age 40 after a 10 year struggle with alcoholism, his wife's mental illness, his own flailing career. And during that time, he actually wrote in one of his unfinished uh, works, a very famous saying, there are no second acts in American lives. And that's really what the internship gets at. And I, I think Fitzgerald was a little too pessimistic there. And it does seem maybe it was a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, although he still wrote great works like The Crack Up with cool opening paragraphs about contradictory ideas and things like that. He still wrote uh, another great novel, but he died young. His marriage was kind of a wreck. Um, and I wonder how much of this was just this this mindset or just an inability to see opportunities that excited him. And that's the challenge, I think, when you're faced with failure. I don't want this to get you know confused, and I think it's important to distinguish what I'm saying from what they call like toxic positivity. I'm not saying to ignore the negative part. You have to live and, and sit in that anguish and that turmoil. But in that, you've got to look up and see what what is this mindset missing this what we've looked at what we've lost but what have we gained or what have we regained what can we take stock of how can we move forward and there you've got to hold those contradictory ideas in your head you've got to engage in like a dramatic irony of your own life of saying hey when i look at it one way i'm not seeing this thing when i look at it another way I'm not seeing another. I've got to synthesize these views. This is positive and negative. I've got to move forward. I've got to remember I didn't see this coming, but I also didn't see a lot of positive things coming in my life so far. So let's just put our feet in front of the other and uh, and move on. But with that sense of, of openness and taking and welcoming the ironies that life deals you will really be a strength as you move on. And it can be one of those those strengths that you take out of these difficult situations. So when you're faced with these situations or just in life, when you're, you're going through your own, you know, motions or your own struggles and whatever the Google internship is of your life, uh, remember to embrace the irony. So let's talk a little bit more about irony. Another kind of irony that you'll see is the concept of meta irony. When the writers are kind of aware that their character is telling a joke or that characters on screen are more aware than another character. And so there's a layer of dramatic irony, but then there's like an extra layer. This is the meta layer where you're like, Oh, the, the writers are, are actually aware of another joke here and they're getting at that as well. And so, like I said, this movie's so interesting as a glimpse into how Google sees itself and that includes what they're willing to laugh at. And so we see in the internship an example of what by 2013 had already become quite a cliche in Silicon Valley and quite, you know, far beyond in the situational interview where they're throwing like brain busters at you, you know? And so you know, it can feel like they're putting your head in a blender in some way. That's not exactly what the clip in this movie is getting at, but it does get to our success movie memento. It's a, another way of getting at our discussion of irony. But when you're faced with these difficult situations, when you feel like you're in a blender, Sometimes you just got to break the blender, you know? So let's listen to Vincent Owen as they take on 
this this difficult interview tactic and let's hear how how they break out of the blender and then we'll come back and talk about what that means for us that's fine um we're going to ask you a few questions that some of our candidates find a little bit odd let's go no weird. judgment shoot you're shrunken down to the size of nickels and dropped to the bottom of a blender what do you do it, is there anything else in the blender uh I don't know. Well, that's going to make a difference. Yes, Are there yes, ice cubes yes, to yes. climb on? Are we working with a daiquiri Are here? We a Are we making a smoothie? In? It's been a long week. Maybe we want to let these little guys live a little. Okay, <laughs> uh, for the sake of the argument, let's say it's empty. Sure. Well, in that case, it's easy then. Yeah. Why? I'm sorry? If we're shrunk down to the size of a nickel and there's no liquid in the blender, we go ahead and put on our back. So you take her flat on your right, back right, like right. this. Right, right, right. You just lay back and enjoy that as a breeze. Board, as a feather, Pretend it's a fan. And let the, the okay, back legs all, all around you like this. It's like getting an MRI. Once this blender's on, it's on forever. It's on forever. Respectfully, I got to disagree. We sold blenders, and even the best model in the world is only going to run nonstop for even what? Even the Billy? Germans, the yeah. Germans could never. Even the German model, even one of those brown ones, only going to run nonstop maybe ten or eleven hours. So we're getting out, and when we do, we're better off for it because whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, let's just go ahead and big picture this for a second, if I can. Just like the founders of Google, big pictured googling. It's not so much getting out of the blender; it's what happens next. That's the question. You've got two nickel-sized men free in the world. Think of the possibilities. I mean, I'm I, I top of my head, and I'm just before here. swimming. Sunglass repair? We'd yeah, be hell yeah, on those little screws. Little, or maybe stick us in those submarines that they put in people's bodies to fight diseases. That's cutting edge right okay, there. Okay, that's, that's not a real thing, the submarines. No. Wait a minute. I thought we were stuck in a blender. Now we're saving lives? What? Uh, what? 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 Let me just recap this for you real quick. We start off in a blender. Yeah. Now we're saving lives. What? 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 Wait a minute, we were stuck in a blender, a and now we're saving lives? What? You guys led us to this. Thank you. I think we've gotten a little far afield. Just a little off topic. All right, so I love this clip. It's actually a little challenging when you're doing a Vince Vaughn movie uh, for your podcast to find shorter clips because his strength is being so verbose. And so I, I wanted to let that one run. It's, it's a funny take on these interviews, which I think are going they're on the way out, uh, except for in more technical positions, I think where there's some merit, but, uh, you know, whenever you're faced with this kind of challenge or when you feel like you're boxed in, I love what they do here by just immediately being like, all right, let's, let's break it down. What's the situation here? All right, we're in a blender. We can get out, you know, the way we do it this way. Now, they blenders break, uh, which, by the way, I do have a German blender. I have a Vitamix, and it's it's like I'm on year five, I think, and it's great. Uh, great company, best blender I've ever had, but they, it's lost a step. I may get another blender. Uh, but any, I love what they do, like, with all of these scenarios, and I love what Owen says about the, the two nickel-sized men free in the world. Because that's what happens when you get out of the blender. You know what I mean? Uh, you're you're small. You're you've lost your old identity, and there's a whole new world around you, and that's a world of opportunity. And yes, it's a world of loss, and it's a, a world where you have to reconfigure who you are. But it's also an opportunity to look into your heart. And so I also like the this scenario. Obviously, the last clip was a little bit exaggerated about what to do, but. As an interview tip, and I, as someone who's been on both sides of it quite a bit, um, I think it's, it is important to look for the opportunity. If you're, if you're a script-based person, I don't really know what to tell you. I, I, if you have like a, a set script to interview and you want specific answers every time, 
I mean, that's right for some positions, but it's not really my experience. And I think it's way better in almost every case to look for the opportunity to get real and to speak from your heart. And that's another way of kind of breaking the blender and breaking out and uh, just just saying what you want to do and hoping that it connects with the person you're trying to connect with. And so I have another clip before we move on to our third success movie, Memento. Uh, is just a great example of uh, you know Owen Wilson doing what he does best and, and just speaking from the heart once you get out of the blender. So let's take a listen and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our third success movie, Memento. Physics. Here, here. Listen, the, I could bend your ear about physics and various physical phenomenon, but the truth is we were in a blender. We lost our jobs. We'd given up. So I think we already answered the question when we took this interview. We got ourselves out, and here we are. If you guys really want to know what happens when you take two guys out of a blender, I'm sorry, Allison, is it? Yes. Then give us a shot. And I think you'd be happy that you did. All right. So against all odds, Vincent Owen get the internship. They get the coveted spot. But that's really only the beginning of their journey. And it really is like a a Harry Potter type journey. And they actually have a lot of references to Harry Potter and a lot of other movies. It's kind of they've got a success movie rewind thing going in the movie Um, because they're, they're now kind of in a school setting. They're learning with the other interns and it's competitive. They all want a job at Google and they're not all going to get it. In fact, there's a, a contest with points being awarded. And if it reminds you of the, the Quidditch games, that's on purpose. And they actually do have that because that's consistent with Silicon Valley culture. And, uh, you know, all of that's very funny. I don't want to give too much of that away. There's a romantic subplot. But importantly, along the way, you know, Vince and Owen are fish out of water. They're middle-aged men among college, recent college graduates or college students or people that dropped out of college but are around that age. And uh, no one wants to be on their team and they have to pair up or, you know, team up with other people that didn't get picked for their teams. And that stinks. We've all been there. Uh, if, if you haven't, it's because you're like LeBron James and you've only done, I guess he even LeBron played other sports, but I, it's very difficult to imagine him not getting picked first, but maybe for other things, maybe for, you know, the academic decathlon, people thought an athlete wouldn't be good. I bet LeBron was pretty good though, but you know, I don't know. But what I'm saying is we've all been there where we felt like we weren't going to get picked or people didn't want us. And I really, for our third success movie, Memento wanted to emphasize that you shouldn't outcast the outliers. Okay. Don't outcast the outliers. And so this, this, of course, when you're talking Silicon Valley and you're talking about outliers, you got to talk about Malcolm Gladwell. And I think we have another example of meta irony here where Silicon Valley is willing to laugh at themselves because they all talked about this book over and over again. I think it came out in 2008. And this is the book that gave us the 10,000 hour rule to do something, to be good at something. You have to do it for 10,000 hours, 20 hours a week for 10 years, Um, which is interesting. But there, you know, I think there are critics of that rule as a broadly applicable concept, but it's a useful concept to remind yourself that you're on a journey of mastery that requires 
perseverance. But I think the more interesting thing when in the book uh, that Malcolm Gladwell talked about was that when you look at outliers, there's a lot of reasons for their success beyond their personal qualities. And a lot of them have to do with the selection process and how we select people. And it can be something as arbitrary as a birthday cutoff for youth hockey uh, that has a result of kids who have the early birthday being bigger being more successful early in hockey, being more confident, getting more coach attention, and just going on to a life of more hockey success just because we decided a birthday cutoff was at a certain point. Um, and that's a maybe a minor example for most people, but it can be more important when it's things like employment, social services, or just having a place in society. Uh, a lot of great things have come from people who didn't really blend in with society or didn't really have a place for a long time. And that's very much true of Silicon Valley. Uh, it's true with respect to the uh, broad neurodiverse population uh, that requires different approaches to the workplace. That is a whole interesting topic uh, with respect to the future of work. And it's important in these scenarios to make sure you're not... Uh, Casting out the outliers to make sure that your systems are not making you overvalue their metrics rather than the things they're actually supposed to capture, which will always be a little bit intangible. So in, in this movie, they talk about like your, your googliness and whether you will have it, it really is a determinant of your job, whether you have those ineffable qualities that make you a good fit. And so let's listen to uh, how the, the coach Lyle... Uh, a young manager, he's not a coach, he's a young manager, uh, kind of a stereotype of a Silicon Valley whippersnapper. And so again, we, we do have a little bit of Silicon Valley uh, laughing at themselves here, but I think there's some wisdom here. So let's listen to this clip. I'm sorry, you said you were a manager? How old are you? I'm 23, but no worries, fellas. I'm yeah. an old soul. Right. Um, yeah, well, the thing about it is, pal, is that... Um, we don't have it. Well, we have two, me and me and Nick, but we don't have the rest of our team. We didn't. But we Correction, we just... you didn't have a team, but you got one now, son, because I got a few outliers. But bam, kaplash, And we about to get it all good up in this hood, right? Outliers, because I just dropped a little G-well on you, because Malcolm's my dog. Malcolm's my dog. What'd you say? Malcolm's my dog. <laughs> outliers, you know, from 10,000 hours. But let's get a team meeting going, everybody. Come on, team meet time. All right, so I like this clip for a few reasons. One, you know, we love it when a character is sounding dumb, but uh, spitting the truth. And so here we've got a character who you can't help but laugh at. It really is a caricature of a manager grappling with authority in the workplace, but wanting to be friendly and cool. We've all seen it. Some of us have been there. I've struggled with it myself, uh, but he's definitely right that you should not look at your team as the leftovers, even if it wasn't your choice uh, entirely who's on your team, but rather look to their strengths. And the book Outliers really, really is helpful here uh, to say, look, we've got people who have something to offer and maybe together we can come together as a team and uh, create something special. 
And that's really any kind of vision of success is going to be some kind of outlier because it's going to be personal to you and your version of success and your version of bringing what you have to offer to the world is going to be personal to you. And so in that way, you really you have to embrace your own outlierness. And I think that's important on an external level with respect to how you market yourself and your skills. Uh, really emphasize not how you're like everybody else, how much you can do what everybody else does, but what you bring to the table individually and uniquely. How are you an outlier? That is going to be the closest or that is a path to finding out what success is for you because that really is when we're at our most fulfilled, when we're doing our special thing, when we're doing a thing that is unique to us, that brings value to something we care about. And I also thought it's interesting when we think internally with respect to if you if you follow like the concept of family systems therapy or even if you don't, the concept of like having different parts of yourself, which is just a way of describing the state of being ambivalent, uh, which is an ironic state to bring it back to our first success movie, Memento. But when it comes to not outcasting the outliers, um, we have outlier parts of ourselves, you know, and a lot of times as we grow up uh, and we learn how to act in the world, we act based on our emotions. I mean, that's we don't have a prefrontal cortex for a while uh, and we learn as this, these parts of our brain develop uh, what's right and wrong and what's OK to do and what's not. And sometimes that means that parts of us that are very emotional need, we need to handle them and we need to kind of uh, separate from them and not express them outwardly. And that's correct and appropriate. I have a two-year-old daughter and I'm in the process right now of telling her, uh, you know, what's okay and what's not. Uh, I don't morally chastise her when she punches me in the face, when she's flailing uh, to show that she's done eating whatever I'm trying to feed her or something like that. But, uh, you know, if she's angry, I definitely tell her that that's not what we do to people, you know, kind of very nicely. But these are important things. But as a result, and if it if there's a miscommunication and sometimes, you know, it, it's just uh, it's just part of life, you kind of like internalize it as like that part of me is not good and maybe that's not even shouldn't be part that shouldn't be part of me and I definitely shouldn't express it and you can kind of push it down and uh, yeah, stifle it so that you can get along in society which is fine and usually good and safe and adaptive uh, unless it's in an environment that teaches you things that are no longer adaptive as life goes on. And there you may need to reach down to those outlier parts of yourself and ask yourself, what have I been holding back? What have I been hiding? What have I been scared to address? Because it makes me feel so strongly that I don't know what to do with it. Because often those are the parts that, you know, first of all, just in terms of energy expenditure, thinking about them, just if you can find a way to live with them and, and work with them, you will find that you have a lot more energy and it will multiply on itself. But also, these are aspects of yourself that if they're sticking with you and even though they're not directly relevant, but 
you know, you still find yourself struggling over and over again with a certain kind of frustration or a certain kind of even anger or a certain, on a more positive side, like a a recurring vision of how life could be different. Those are outlier parts of your own experience that don't really make sense in terms of your day-to-day but are coming to you for a reason. And you can't outcast them either because that's a part of you. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if you can get ruminative and you can get in thought loops that are not helpful, but I'm talking about, you know, those fundamental things where you're like, things should be different or they could be different. If only I could just say this or do this, maybe you could ask yourself what really would happen if you did, Uh, rather than outcasting those outlier aspects of your perspective. What if you could harness them? What if you could bring them to bear on your goals? in a way that's consistent with your values. What would life look like then? And uh, it's very special. And so, uh, or it can be. And so this week, don't outcast the outliers. Embrace them, uh, both with respect to people that you deal with in the workplace and yourself. So this week, remember to embrace the outcast. Check out the internship if you haven't or if it's been a while. It's a great movie. And we'll be back next week with another great film to discuss. Bye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.